Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone, does it feel like this or like this? Because with Shopify, your morning can feel like this way more often. That's the sound of a sale being made on your new Shopify store. And while client payments may require weeks or months of work, you can start generating a semi-passive income to grow your business by setting up a Shopify store all of your own. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your latest designs on shirts or bags or adding something totally different to your business, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You can sell online, you can sell in person, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. With Shopify, you can set up your store in minutes and start selling immediately. And Shopify's award-winning support is there to help you as you go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash freelance. That's all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash freelance to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash freelance or click the link in our show description and start waking up to this. If you are the type of person to spend a ton of time reading, let's say you're at your developer job and you've been interested in this forever, you've been reading every blog post about it, you've been talking to people about it, you've been watching interviews about it and listening to podcasts about it and you haven't done it, there's no amount of additional reading that's going to get you over that edge. For people in this situation, what I would say is there's never going to be a time where you're just ready. You just need to start building something right now. From Milo, it's Freelance to Founder, where we tell the real stories of solopreneurs who've scaled their businesses to something much bigger than themselves. I'm your host, Brandon Hall. On today's show, we talk to a man who is the consummate freelancer turned founder. But his story is unique in this way. Our guest took one additional step from freelancer to founder to employee after selling his highly creative project to online payments processor Stripe. This is the story of Cortland Allen of IndieHackers.com. You'll get to know Cortland a bit more today and gain some great perspective on how you can turn your freelance skills into a company. And maybe your eyes will open as to what you could do with that company if you've built it just the right way. But first, a word from our sponsor. Season 3 of Freelance to Founder is sponsored by FreshBooks, the number one invoicing software for freelancers and solopreneurs. FreshBooks recently released some major updates to better help you scale your business. From super fast invoice creation to automatic client reminders and lots of other cool features, FreshBooks is the number one choice for lots of our listeners and readers. In fact, this season you'll hear from freelancers and solopreneurs just like you who have used FreshBooks to manage and scale their business. Real people who are running real businesses and using FreshBooks to do it. To try the all-new FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com FTF and enter FTF in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thank you. 
You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Cortland Allen is one smart cookie. Where many boys grow up idolizing sports stars, he'll tell you in this episode which legendary computing leader he looked up to. Whether you call it freelancing or contracting, that's how he did really well for himself for a number of years before finally creating Indie Hackers. To the uninitiated, Indie Hackers is a unique website where people with ideas, and these are mostly software developers, but not entirely, take part in discussions about the projects they're working on or have just launched. They read and listen to interviews, and they can vote up the content they like. It's one of the coolest online communities you'll encounter. And you wouldn't have necessarily pegged Cortland to be doing what he's doing today based on how he got his start. Let's get introduced. So I grew up with my twin brother, Channing. So there's a lot of fighting, number one. <laughs> the two of us fought about everything, and we still fight about everything, which is why he's such a good partner to work on Indie Hackers with me, because we've got like... 30 years of conflict resolution behind us. It's great. Uh, but my dad finished furniture. He worked with his hands a lot. He didn't go to college. And my mom had gone to college, I think Western Carolina University, to get a degree in education. She taught for a year or two, decided she hated it, and then eventually started her own business. It was called Peachtree Computer Exchange. And I'm pretty sure she just sold computers, like the, the actual hardware to people. And this is like the early 90s. And so here I was like, you know, seven years old, getting to play with all these new computers. We got the internet before any of my friends got the internet. And so I was browsing the web when I was in second grade, uh, like basically like 1994, like when the web was new. 
Uh, and so I was, everyone just came to me because I was a kid and I, I didn't mind learning all this stuff and reading instruction manuals and setting it up. So every adult looked at me as like the computer expert when I was like eight. Cortland wasn't a huge fan of school, though. As a kid, I was just fascinated by work in general. I really didn't like school. I didn't like the fact that we were doing so many things that seemed meaningless to me, uh, even from a young age. And I was pretty good at school, but I just didn't like it. And so I was fascinated by the fact that like, I could go to my dad's workplace and see him you know, finishing furniture. He worked with like kind of an entrepreneurial crew of people as well. Now he's a young guy. Following an entrepreneurial path wasn't a lock, despite his father's furniture business. Uh, but I didn't have any sort of conception of, okay, this is more work than a normal job or less work than a normal job or more or less likely to be successful. I just thought it was more fun and more interesting because they were a small shop of like 10 guys. They own this warehouse together and they would you know, design and construct and finish furniture for basically like very rich clients, celebrities, Elton John. Uh, they made like a cabinet for him in his house in Atlanta. And so it was like these guys were just doing it themselves. And I had no idea like how any of like the sales process worked or like the their marketing or anything, but I could just see them working and I thought it was cool because they were doing something that was real. Cortland watched and learned from his dad, but computers were what captured his passion. He was constantly thinking about them, reading about them, tinkering with them and fixing them for others, generating all kinds of buzz for his work. And it, it's funny, I think people underestimate the degree to which kids take to things that, that people like praise them for. But I remember in like fifth grade, my brother had written like some sort of essay that he got an A plus on and, and the teachers really loved it. And everyone who like we knew was like, oh, this is such a great like essay, Channing, you did such a great job. And then lo and behold, like, you know, 15 years later, he's graduating college and he's like, wants to be a novelist. I don't think that was a coincidence at all. And the same was true of me. You know, I was, this is the mid nineties and I had no idea at the time, but like everyone was getting rich in San Francisco with their like various IPOs for all sorts of internet things. Meanwhile, I was just this kid in Georgia who just liked computers. And every time I talked to any adult and they saw that I like computers, they say, oh, they said, you know, Corlin, you're going to be something someday because, you know, these computers, it's such a great industry. Like, keep going. So I got like limitless encouragement for reasons that I had no idea about at the time. But by the time I was you know, able to make a decision about my own career, I was like, yeah, I really want to be a computer programmer. And it seems like the way to go. The path he took was similar to others we've talked to on Freelance to Founder. He started building websites for others. I did. So probably around middle school, I decided that it was rather than just like fixing up computers and, and helping people install software and doing whatever odd jobs I was doing and playing games, I should start like making websites. And I made a ton of websites back in like the late 90s when it was everything was like table based layouts. If any if anyone in the audience is like a computer programmer from back then, like there was no CSS. So I was using Microsoft front page and and just making websites for anyone that I could. And eventually some people would pay me. Like my dad's company paid me to make a website for their, their furniture business. And some of my mom's friends paid me like small amounts of money to make websites. But I just kept making websites over and over again. Not even because it was part of some strategy to, to get into the college that I wanted to go to, but just because I thought it was really fun. By the time I was in high school, I had like a pretty extensive experience making websites. I kind of for a while thought I wanted to be a web designer because I just liked the idea of making websites that looked really good. And so I would spend hours like finding good web designers and trying to copy their websites to see if I can build the same thing. Probably a couple years into college, maybe a year and a half into college, I realized like, you know, being a web designer, while really cool, and it, you know, today it's a pretty lucrative career. Like there's some awesome designers at a lot of Silicon Valley startups and elsewhere. But I, I realized that the stuff that I wanted to create required a lot more programming expertise. Cortland attended MIT. Know anyone who's attended there? Neither did I until Cortland. If you're unaware, 
getting into MIT is no small feat by itself. This is how most people feel when they hear back from MIT. And those are the smart kids. Right now you're listening to one kid's reaction to his rejection letter from MIT that he recorded and broadcasted to YouTube. Good stuff. They accept only 8% of applicants. The typical student coming in finished high school with a 4.13 GPA and scored a 2200 or more on their SAT. You get the idea. We're not talking kids who skylights leak a little, if you know what I mean. Not going there. Anywho, while Cortland was a sophomore, he wrote his first software app. Here we go. Yet another founder who was dabbling in things while in college versus just getting a job at the closest Taco Bell. So my sophomore year, one of my best friends in college, this guy named Aaron, was like, hey, we should build a Facebook app. Facebook just released their platform. We should build a Facebook app. And I was like, I have no idea how to do that. And he's like, oh, it's fine. Let's just do it. And he like didn't necessarily know how to do it either. He just had the confidence that we could read the documentation. And if it required learning a computer programming language, we would just learn it. And so we did it. And I'm 100% sure that I would not have done that without Aaron's influence. Like he was just, he made it possible and kind of like tore down this block in my mind that I had put there. You know, it was still a hard thing, but it wasn't that hard. Uh, we eventually released this app called Fmail, which was completely useless. It just allowed you to check your Gmail on Facebook. And then I had like done use my design skills to make it look like make it look, look like it blended in with the Facebook interface, even though it was Gmail. And so we got like some press for that, and it was cool and exciting. And I got a bunch of contracting job offers after that too from other people who wanted me to build Facebook apps for them. It was just contract free, like remote freelancing gigs, and they paid very well too. I mean, at the time, I was like, I don't. Why do I even need a <laughs> degree? You know, I could just drop out and do this for the foreseeable future. But I think the biggest lesson that I took out of that was that none of these gigs that I was getting offered were on a job board anywhere. Like none of these were things that I could have just gone out and found on my own. But because I had taken the time to build something cool, that brought people to me. And to this date, like if I ever wanted to get a job, and even later on in my career, in my later 20s, when I decided to be a freelancer, like all the jobs that I got were inbound requests because of something that I had built. Cortland did get his degree from MIT, but before he completed it, he started one more project with some fellow students. It was a Gmail filtering app called Cipher. The students were originally from Saudi Arabia, so they entered a contest in Dubai together with their app, and they won it, including a $25,000 prize. That gave Cortland loads of confidence, even though the project didn't turn into a viable company afterwards, which led him to a crossroads of sorts. Should he go get a job? Should he start his own thing? Should he move? Now, both of my co-founders were grad students. They didn't need the money. So I just took all the money, rented an apartment with some friends in Boston, and stayed in Boston for a year just building this app and reading everything that I could obsessively from Paul Graham and about startups and Y Combinator uh, and trying to take their advice and, and launch our own startup and get some traction. It did not work out. We ran out of money. Uh, but I think the app that we built was cool. And once again, like just building that put me on a lot of people's radars. To this point in our story, Cortland hasn't worked a day as an employee. He simply refused to do it, even though he nearly needed to on a couple of occasions. After the break, we're gonna dig deep into the project Cortland ultimately built, Indie Hackers. His freelancing was now a company of its own. What lessons did that teach him about pushing himself beyond freelancing? 
That's what we're going to uncover. But first, a few words about the sponsors that make Freelance to Founder possible. Season three of Freelance to Founder is sponsored by FreshBooks, the number one invoicing software for freelancers and solopreneurs like me, you, and Patricia. My name is Patricia LaCroix. I'm from Chicago. My company is LaCroix Creative. Before switching to FreshBooks, Patricia's invoicing process was a complete nightmare. Before switching to FreshBooks, I was just using a planner to keep track of my hours. And then I use a calculator and an InDesign document to invoice people. And I have to tell you, that was painful. If your invoicing process sounds a lot like Patricia's and you're ready to do it the right way, the headache-free way, then you can try the all-new FreshBooks free for 30 days by visiting freshbooks.com FTF and entering FTF in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This season is also sponsored by Storyblocks. Have you ever been in the middle of a client project, your client has gone over scope and over budget, and getting the right visual elements for the project will take some kind of miracle? Well, Storyblocks brings you over 400,000 photos, vectors, textures, and icons, all for one super low annual price. Plus, for Freelance to Founder listeners, you'll get seven days free by visiting storyblocks.com founders. That's seven days free access to almost half a million quality photos, vectors, textures, and icons. Visit storyblocks.com slash founders. Now, enjoy the rest of this episode of Freelance to Founder. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we told you that Cortland Allen had built an interesting app called Cipher for Gmail filtering. He built that with some friends from MIT. While that app didn't turn into a successful company, it did add to the portfolio and personal brand that you might say he was accidentally building. People knew of Cortland Allen. At this stage, we're going to fast forward just a bit. Cortland gained even more exposure by participating in Y Combinator, a startup funding incubator in the Bay Area. After that experience, he did just a bit more freelancing before finally realizing it was time to start something bigger. He was burned out of doing projects for others. I'm a freedom-loving person in every sense of the word. I really want to be able to go wherever I want, whenever I want to. I got the idea from Indie Hackers about six months after I quit contracting. And it's, it's actually something that it wasn't kind of stirring or, or I wasn't kind of ruminating on it. I actually spent like a dedicated two or three day stint just thinking of ideas. And I knew what my requirements were. So his criteria aren't necessarily all that important right now, but it's a great piece of insight to think about the fact that he had criteria for his next adventure, not a product, but a company. Before you launch your next thing, maybe you should just jot down what your criteria are for enjoying it while you design or build it. Beginning of the day and actually work on. I knew it needed to be something that I could release and launch within a few weeks. I just had this long list of things that I wanted. And so I decided, okay, I'll just sit down and spend like three days And I'm going to go on Hacker News. I'm going to read all these other stories where people have shared what they're working on, their side projects, their businesses, how much money they're making. And I think if I just read enough of these, I'll be able to glean like some sort of insight. I'll recognize some sort of pattern that will perhaps help me decide, you know, on a good business idea for myself. So the neat thing and the challenging thing at the same time with building an online community is you need people in the community. But the humans won't come unless there's something compelling to what you've built. How did Cortland deal with that challenge? So for the first month, Indie Hackers was 100% interviews. You would go to the homepage, 
It was just a grid of companies that I talked to. And when I launched, I only had 10. And so if you click on a company, you can see how much money they're making every month, how many founders they have, what country they're located in, and then just eight or nine questions, kind of a, a back and forth text interview that I'd done with the founder to try to walk them through the story. And my thinking was, I want this to be a community site, but there's, there's just no way I'm going to be able to get a community off the ground unless I can consistently drive a lot of relevant traffic to the community on a regular basis. And so the interviews are going to have to be that. And the interviews, luckily enough, like really hit home. Like a lot of people like them. Uh, the people on Hacker News who were used to starting these threads were like my bread and butter early on. Like they kept coming back for more and they kept suggesting new people for me to interview and other people who had projects who wanted to share their stories with other people and help out. And that drove hundreds of thousands of people to the site every month. All of this happened within the first year of indie hackers getting started. Breathtaking stuff. But as opposed to most people who might think they're in a similar situation, blogging a few times a week, keep this little gem from Cortland in mind. Uh, I mean, I barely even look at Task Force anymore. And indie hackers is an all-consuming effort. <laughs> it's like my entire life, I think. The saddest thing ever for my girlfriend was that the day that I started ND Hackers, you know, when I first launched it, I was I was killing myself working on the site. I was working like 80 or 90 hours a week just because finding people to interview and actually conducting the interviews back and forth and editing them to make them read well because not everybody's the best writer, putting them on the website, sending out like my weekly newsletter, uh, writing all the code for the site. Like it was all just a, a ton of work. Okay. So maybe you're wondering the big question. How did he start making money with this thing? We've arrived at that point in the story. Cortland went into this with no specific idea how he would monetize indie hackers. He knew there should be several ways he could do it, but he didn't know exactly the way he would settle on it. He knew that if he could get the traffic part down, the revenue would come. And it did. Sponsorships rolled in. He created a list of targeted advertisers and started reaching out. Most of them he was able to get to participate. He was very transparent with all of this, and you can see that if you visit the Indie Hackers blog, where he shares his transparency reports. He wanted his readers to feel like they were truly building this with him. On that list of targeted advertisers was one big company. Well, funny enough, I when I was thinking about advertisers, I made a list of the kind of like my dream advertisers. Who are the biggest companies, the best companies that best align with Indie Hackers' mission and Indie Hackers' audience and community? And Stripe was like near the top of that list. Uh, but I never reached out because I wanted to practice reaching out to people and to kind of start at the bottom of the totem pole to get advertisers. A few months later in March, I was in Mexico, basically. I was flying down for a buddy's party and I'd just gotten off the plane and I checked my email and I had an email from Patrick Collison, CEO of Stripe, that was the subject of something like acquire indie hackers. Uh, <laughs> and I was just in shock because this is completely out of the blue. But I talked to him after I got back to San Francisco, and it just made a lot of sense. So Stripe owns Indie Hackers now completely. I'm still working on it. As part of uh, our deal, they hired my brother as well to work on it under me. Because just the month before, in February, he had started kind of working on Indie Hackers with me, and I kind of had this plan that we'd work on it together once it was generating enough revenue for, to pay for like not only my salary but his. Uh, and so today, it's it's the two of us at Stripe Working on Indie Hackers. All right, if this were an hour-long show, there's so much more I would love to share with you about Cortland's story with his brother Channing. How close the guys are, how he taught Channing how to code, how he learned so much about the power of games and their ability to fuel learning new skills. So here's the thing. If you'd like to shoot an email to me at brandon at milo.co, I'll add you to a special list to receive this full interview. 
including Cortland's story on this and his negotiations with Stripe for the purchase. For now, there's this. Selling indie hackers wasn't an easy decision for Cortland just because he admired Stripe. He had polled his followers to gauge their interest in his subscription model or in more advertising. The Stripe deal, though, just made sense. And Indie Hackers is run completely independently today with no Stripe involvement and very little branding. Cortland's approach to just digging in and building things without overthinking them is a key takeaway for all freelancers listening to this episode. That's his advice for some of you who are prone to overthinking things. He's got advice for the others as well. This is a tough one because I don't think there's really good all-in-one advice. If I had to divide it, I would I would say there's two different types of people that you're talking to. And depending on who you are, you should take that advice. If you are the type of person to spend a ton of time reading, let's say you're at your developer job and you've been interested in this forever, you've been reading every blog post about it, you've been talking to people about it, you've been watching interviews about it and listening to podcasts about it, but you haven't done it, then there's no amount of additional reading that's going to get you over that edge. For people in this situation, what I would say is there's never going to be a time where you're just ready. Like you just need to start building something right now. And you're not going to have the perfect idea. You just need to start building and trust that a lot of what you're going to learn is going to be on the job. And the skills that you have now, especially if you've been, re- if you've been reading for months or years, are probably good enough that you can get started. For the other half of people, people who are excited about this or, or maybe just coming into it, I would say take some time to read. Most startups fail, and I think in any environment where a great deal of smart people are trying something and yet still failing, uh, it's a clue that your intuition is probably not going to be enough to succeed. And there are a lot of stumbling blocks in starting a company and, and being a founder that are very easy to spend like months or years of your life tripping over. And it's, it's much easier to just read about other people doing it and learn from their mistakes. And so come to sites like Indie Hackers or go to Hacker News or or pick up a book and read like these behind the scenes stories from other founders who've already done it. They spent years running into all of these non-obvious issues and these things that were, you know, might trip you up as a new founder. And you can learn a lot from just reading those stories. In fact, that's why I built Indie Hackers so that you could do research. And so that in the future, if I wanted to come up with another idea, I'd have a great repository of information to do research on how other people did it. Which camp are you in? If neither, sounds like you're killing it. Great to hear. But if you're an overthinker, Take this final piece of wisdom from Mr. Cortland Allen. There's just really no better way to learn than experience. I mean, if you learn something through your own experience, it's going to stick with you. Uh, That's not to say that you should learn everything from your own experiences. If other people have done it, by all means, like save a few years of your life and learn from their mistakes. But uh, once you get to that edge, once you once you you start realizing that you're just reading the same lessons over and over and over again, it's time to, to take the plunge and do it yourself. And that's the story of Cortland Allen, founder of Indie Hackers, software developer, interviewer, podcaster, and apparently motivational speaker. Great wisdom. We've enjoyed all of our guests so far in season three of Freelance to Founder. If you have too, would you take a minute to leave us a five-star review on iTunes? That increases the show's exposure and is one way to say thank you. Uh, Of course, another way to say thank you is just to shoot us an email and say thank you. And we'll take those too. But for all of us at Milo, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Freelance the Founder. Thank you.